Hey, everybody. You are listening to the Encounter Mercy podcast. I'm your co-host, Deacon A.J. Gedney. I'm here with Brother Barnabas of the Order of St. Benedict here in Latrobe, Pennsylvania at uh, St. Vincent Seminary. Barnabas, how are you? Hey, I'm doing well. How are you, Deacon A.J.? I'm good. I'm good. Hey, you're getting close, too. Uh, Is it a week from Saturday? I think so. Nice. Yeah. Are you excited? Uh, No doubt. I'm a little nervous. Really? I'm excited, yeah. I was was more nervous about all the details before my ordination than the ordination itself, but I think it was like two days before the ordination. I woke up that day, and I was like, oh, no. Like, what am I doing? (laughs) Yeah. No, it's good. I mean, with any, like, big commitment, lifelong commitment that comes with it, and I've I've done one already with solemn vows in the monastery, but I'm like, whoa, this is another one? You know, so how many can I handle? But uh, yeah, it'll be good. Just trying to finish the semester well. Um, we uh, are at the end of our last week of school and have finals next week, but uh, glad to be uh, podcasting with you, man. Yeah, I think the last time we did, th- did this was like October. At least are you the last serious? Yeah, the last like file we had. Holy cow. Because uh, I don't know, things got complicated. Semester ended, I guess, early, right? There were no breaks last semester, so it ended before Thanksgiving, and then... This year, I mean, just been a bunch of quarantines. Mm. Uh, like, I've been quarantined twice. Uh, you've been quarantined several times. Mm. Um, so, yeah, we're just, we're grateful uh, to be in, in each other's presence uh, and to not be in quarantine. No doubt, brother. <laughs> Glad to be in the same presence <laughs> as you, not on Zoom. Oh, my gosh, yeah. Uh, cool. So, I wanted to talk about a book that both Brother Barnabas and I um, love love a lot, and it's very near and dear to us, and that is um, He Leadeth Me by Father Walter Chizik. Mm. Um, so Father Walter Chizik, just a little bit of history. Um, I think probably in the 30s, uh, he entered the Jesuit order. Um, he's from Pennsylvania, isn't he? Yep. Yeah, so um, his parents were Polish immigrants. Uh, I think like Lancaster, Pennsylvania. Really? Lancaster? Lancaster? I think it's Lancaster. Lancaster. Um, entered the Jesuit order, and then Pope, uh, Pope Pius IX, I think, put out maybe the 11th he put out this huge thing for all the church saying he needed missionaries to go to russia right you know he's getting afraid of the growing soviet union and communism and all that godlessness so uh walter answered that call he went to a one of the pontifical colleges in rome called the rusicum which is like all things russia Mm. Uh, gets ordained and he had always had this desire to go to russia so he gets close he's assigned to like eastern poland and it's in that time that uh, it's an occupied by the Soviet Union, and then he kind of slips under the radar. He gets permission from his um, like metropolitan archbishop, and he gets to go into Russia. Uh, it's there that he's captured uh, by the government. He's accused of being a Vatican spy, and then he spends the next 25 years um, in and out of like, labor camps, concentration camps, prisons, um, and even when kind of when he gets free of these things, when he finishes his quote unquote sentence, he's still like closely. Um, uh, monitored by the government mm. and then he ends up getting uh, the US government learns that he's still alive and it's him and a, like a young young US journalist who were both imprisoned in Russia the US trades two Soviet spies they had um, I think JFK was like um, in charge of that exchange and he comes over after 25 years um, that's a little bit of this history uh, Brother Barnabas what are your initial thoughts yeah man so I first read He Leadeth Me right after I graduated from college. And I remember my spiritual director gave me this, you know, because I was freaking out about, like, what am I supposed to do with my life? And what's God want me to do? And how do you hear God? And he uh, he just reached on his shelf and he said, why don't you read this book? 
And I was like, okay, um, I don't want to do that. You know, but whatever, I'll, I'll take it. So then I remember I had, I wanted to meet up with my spiritual director again um, a couple months later. But I remember that like I still had this book that I had to give back to him. He leaved it to me. I thought, oh, you know, I have to read it if I'm going to give it back to him. So I, I remember sitting down and begin to read it. And all of a sudden I was like, oh, now I understand why Father Bombs, my spiritual director, gave me this book. Because the, the cool thing with He Leadeth Me um, is that he says in it that this was the book that he wanted to write, right? So he wrote with God in Russia upon the encouragement of, I guess, you know, others like his superiors or all the rest about his story, which is a beautiful book. But He Leadeth Me, he a- is able to share his um, experiences and he follows up each experience with, this is what I learned about God, about myself, and about particularly the topic of divine providence. Um, so anyway, there's so much I could share in that regard. But basically, I've given this book away. Like I went to a, a little Catholic bookstore in Pittsburgh one time to get like, you know, a copy of this book. And I remember walking in and I, this little old lady was there. And I was like, she's like, what book are you looking for? I said, uh, I'm looking for He Leadeth Me. She's like, oh, look, we're here. And she, like, took 12 of them and just put them on the counter to sell me. And I was like, okay, I'll just buy all 12. You know, they're, like, really used books. So they were, like, three bucks a piece. And I just gave each one of them away. Mm -hmm. And then since then, I've given probably 20 copies of this book away, buying it for people. Like, I don't own a copy of this book. You know, you gave me a copy for my solemn vows. Long story short, I gave it to someone that ended up having COVID back when we thought COVID was, like, if you touch things, they whatever. So I I never got that back. (laughs) But... (laughs) which is fine it keeps my streak going of like never owning this book because i always give it away because it's really that beautiful of a reflection on um how to hear god yeah um yeah i read this first and then read uh yeah i read this in 2016 so or 2017 like my first summer as a seminarian probably because you and father boniface have talked about it so much um but i feel like um with god in russia was also very meaningful to me because I think that that was, at least for my, in my head, it was nice knowing what exactly he went through. Whereas this, it goes back and forth between a big stretch of time and then, like, the spiritual component of it. Yeah. Um, like, like, God's providence. And then I just really enjoyed a chronological telling of where he was, what he did. And that's with God in Russia. Um, so, yeah, definitely would recommend, like, reading both of those. Um, but, yeah. Uh, I think one aspect of this book that might be relevant for our listeners right now, like, why should they check this out? You know, actually, Bishop Barron recently made uh, a video talking about this book and Father Walter Chizek. So it's even high on his radar. Um, and then he had a conversation even with Jordan Peterson about this book. So really? Like this, this book just keeps coming back in uh, conversations about um, how, how can we actually hear what God is doing? And in particular, the first... So this dude, like AJ, we're, what, six years into seminary here? Like, oh, man. The Jesuits are like twice as long, mm-hmm. right? So he was in seminary a long time. And almost almost instantly after he gets ordained, he gets falsely accused of being a Vatican spy and thrown into Lubyanka isolation prison. Yeah. Basically, he was in c- solitary confinement in a room by himself for five years. And the only interaction he had with the outside world was a tray of food coming under his door maybe twice a day. And then he would get pulled out of the room a couple times a week to be interrogated to try to get him to even confess and sign papers. Like he was, you know, they were driving him crazy. And he talks about how is his life still of any meaning 
and how can this situation make any sense? And over the past how many months, how can our own solitary confinement, our own quarantines, our own isolation, whatever, still be something that God has good in? And the way he talks about it in that book is just profound, you know, and he uh, he leans on those things that he had learned, such as like his routine. You know? Yeah, I want to talk about that because um, I think he could hear the bells of a nearby town. So he could the, he, he had the time of the day usually. Um, I remember reading he had like a uh, horarium, like each hour of the day was ordered. So he would like get up, do a holy hour, um, pray the rosary. He would like do it in Polish, Latin, and English. He would work out. He would um, he would still do the liturgy of the hours as he knew by memory. Or um, and he would go. He would pray the prayers in the mass, although not having the uh, anything to do it with. He would just still pray the prayers in the mass they knew by heart. Um, and then. Like a, like a great Jesuit, he would do the examine at the end of, end of every day. You know, that great uh, Ignatian practice of seeing where the good was in that day, where the bad was, and just giving it up to God. Uh, so I thought that was very interesting because, um, th- you know, throughout our quarantines, I, there are different levels of productivity. Some days I'm like, nope, I'm going to play Pokemon on an emulator, you know, for several hours today. I'm tired of it. And then sometimes I'm like, no, I'm motivated. I have a list of things to do. I break up my day. So uh, I found that interesting, whereas I think, at least myself, I would have just resigned to, well, oh well, like I'm stuck in this solitary confinement, what am I going to do to do? But he's yeah. still like, um, that's very monastic, I think, is he still ordered the day based on like when his meals would come, and then like those bells. For sure. And you know, one of the most profound things, and, and this is a side note for a minute, like spiritually, um, one thing that struck me recently is every... Uh, talk that I'm a part of, Bible study that I do, or now podcast, I am always sensitive or aware of the person listening that feels the most like whatever we're talking about right now, for whatever reason, does not apply to me. And right now we're talking about, man, this guy made the best of a rough situation and became disciplined and routine and all the rest. But then something happened in that isolation period of five years that struck me the most that he shared, which was eventually... He did break down to the pressure of the guys interrogating him, and he began to sign the papers. Mm, yeah. Confess, yeah. because he was so, like, traumatized. But, and then he talks in there about how guilty he felt that he, like, broken down and, like, after being so good or whatever. And I think we can all feel that own failure of, like, man, we're doing the Christian life so good. And then, like, man, something happened where we just fall off the horse or, like, in a moment of weakness or, like, all the whatever. But then – leaning toward despair he has this spiritual just like gift of the lord to recognize but god is still with me and all i have to do is decide to let him be in charge right now and then he realized like well, all right well what's the worst thing that could happen to me they kill me <laughs> and he says okay well if they kill me then i get to be with the lord so be it so then whenever they came back in to continue the interrogation uh, after he had started to, you know, comply with them or whatever, he's like, "I'm no, I'm I'm done. I'm not doing this." And they started screaming, at, "Like, you know, we can kill you!" And he's like, "So be it." And he just experiences inner freedom through that failure, you know. Um, and then anyway, that's when, then, they realize they can't do anything more to him in the isolation. Guess what they do next? They send him off for like another twenty years at hard labor in the Siberian forest, <laughs> you know, like. Talk about not even being able to get your steps in every day to like work in 
15 hour days building a city out of a, he says like we yeah. saw a city arise before us in the Siberian forest, you know, him and the other workers. Yeah. 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 That's, I mean, sometimes if I don't read the whole book, I'll go find that section where he is broken down. He signs the papers and then there's just this freedom. Like I think the interrogators notice like how different he is. Yeah. Um, and it took a moment of humiliation, right? Cause I think, you know, our pride is like the last thing to go. We have nothing else. Uh, so yeah, that's a very meaningful part of the book for me too. Um, so we can talk, let's talk about when he's in Siberia. Cause I think that was really cool because now he's with other people yeah. and he is still being a priest. So, you know, he's in the barracks of this uh, camp. He's hearing confessions. He's baptizing people. He's anointing the sick. Um, he's saying mass, uh, which I found was cool is he found where the other Catholics were, other Christians were, and they didn't even have lookouts. Like he and another priest in that camp would say mass, like sitting on their bed, mm-hmm. um, super clandestinely. And they had people looking out. I think one of the coolest things is there was this like old lady on the outside of the camp. She would bring them wine and bread. Mm. So they would say mass from memory. They would um, take the blessed sacrament, fold it up in like a cloth and then take it to people throughout mm. the day. Um, and like these two priests, they would give retreats. Uh, so I, I find that incredibly inspiring that here he is in this labor camp, but then he still has this like parish, like right. he's still a pastor, a priest. Well, and in addition to that too, right? Uh, you know, there's a an adage that I completely hate that I just want to say right now that, you know, people will say about priests, like, these hands are made for chalices, not calluses, whatever. Mm. Like, mm. what's the work of a priest? But in this case, Father Walter Chizik had uh, hands for chalices and for calluses in the camp because uh, there's a great story in there. Of, so the motivation of the workers to get the work done was you had to, like, work so many hours or, like, accomplish so many things or whatever in order to reach your food quota right if you didn't fulfill like the standard whatever it was you wouldn't get like the amount of food that you was allotted to you. And then you get weaker and it was harder the next day right so like i guess um you know the guys that were with walter chiswick these other like really bitter rough you know prisoners would see father walter working so hard and they would ask him like what are you doing You've like we've already reached the quota of work. Why are you still working so hard for these for these evil people for these guys? Like, what do you? You're a priest. Do you believe in the cause? Like, we are questioning you. And he says in there that uh, he found meaning in that seemingly meaningless work because the meaning for the other guys was simply just to get their food quota. But Walter Chizik, Father Walter Chizik, uh, found meaning not only in his priestly duties, but he said, "I'm working." Because what I'm building right now will one day be for a person, be for people. I don't know who these people will be, and I'm not judging like who they are or whatever, but it will be for, for people. And that's a worthy thing for me to do right now. So, like, man, a really big thing in all this is he was able to find meaning in his crappy situation, in his suffering. And how relevant does that continue to be for people? Is what's the meaning of my suffering situation. Mm-hmm. I think this is a beautiful book to read in order to kind of look at that question. Yeah. I think um, he's either in, he's either being transported to one of the camps, which took a long time, right? Or, he, or he's in one of the camps. And I just remember, you know, there'd be like 30 men in this tiny room. They're having to use the bathroom in a you know, bucket in the corner. And the, one of the leaders or one of the, you know, uh, government, government officials would come in with a big pot of stew and, uh, 
you'd have to stir it up because the heavy stuff would go to the bottom. And like the guys getting the food would fight over what order you went in because by the end, the soup was real thick and like um, sustaining and hearty. Whereas the beginning stuff was like watery. But I remember uh, Walter just still ministering to other people and still existing for the other, not himself. Because mm. all these guys were like hardened criminals, leaders of gangs, and they were all about themselves. Like, uh, you know, because he even said factions would um, would be created and they just divisions would occur, like, to, you know, uh, based on like gang affiliation or maybe cultural background or um, like nationality. And I just remember. He, he was able to succeed in a sense or, or still survive pretty well in that situation because he still focused on the needs of others, like making sure a guy who couldn't work as hard was still getting some food, whereas all these other hardened criminals, they had, like right now and their entire lives up to that point, they were lived for themselves. Yeah. Well, and I think it's very important to to say now that he he explains that in the book not as if he had learned all this before you know, he entered into all this situation. It was something that through his own leaning on God during his imprisonment and trying to find sense out of his suffering that he began to actually, you know, acknowledge that this was the reality. Like, I think pretty much I would sum this book up with the most profound thing that he says. I've said profound like five times in this podcast. It's a profound book. It's profound, dude. Um, it's meta. That's what the kids say. <laughs> dude, it's meta. Um, he basically, this book really seems to be all about, he asked the question, how do we know what God's will is in our life? And he says, so often we think that God's will is something out there that we need to go like figure out or discover or like find or meditate on and do all the Ignatian exercises, which all those things are fine. But he goes, how do we know that God's will is not the very people in the train car in front of me? And me standing in line, getting this thin food, you know, all the rest. Like, perhaps this is actually God's will, what is right in front of me right now. Like, my God's will for me right now is to sit here with you, AJ, and record this podcast, you know. And, uh, you know, e even the difficult situations he talks about are even in God's permissive will. That, like, of course, like, God doesn't want us to deal with, like, being imprisoned in the world. But he's allowing it for some beautiful reason that's going to come together, mm -hmm. you know. And, um who knows? Maybe, you know, uh, maybe Father Walter Chizik was the Lord permitted him to go through all of it simply so he could write this book so that I could read it after college and like be renewed in my hope that my life wasn't hopeless. Because, man, if that guy did it, I could also like find meaning in my my own suffering. That's like a worthy cause. So there's a mystery in carrying out God's will that he talks about. So, yeah, I think of uh, it's in Deuteronomy where it talks about like the word of or the will of God is not something far away, you know, you wouldn't say, oh, look, there it is up there in the sky. Um, we cannot grasp it. But then it goes on to say, like, it is very near to you. It is in your hearts. You simply have to listen and do it. Yeah. Um, so I think that's beautiful, too, because I think he talks about that in here. That's one of the things I'd underlined in one of my previous readings is, um, like, we've set conditions upon God. Um, like, we want his will to be our will. Um, so I think something like Walter, I think, figured out is you have to accept what is placed before you because you can spin your wheels and waste a lot of energy wishing it was another way. Um, you know, he wanted to be a priest and a missionary. And you could, on one side, you could say, well, he's in a labor camp. How is he being a missionary? 
But then again, like he ended up, he got to Russia and he had a quote unquote parish or a mission. So it didn't look like a typical missionary, but it's what God had um, wanted him to do. Yeah, man. And how many of us have situations these these days where we're like, man, my life in whatever capacity is not the typical fill in the blank, whatever it might be, you know, your kids, your marriage, your schooling, your job, your whatever, how things are turning out. But rather than focus on like how things are different or how this wasn't supposed to be, perhaps there's something else that we could recognize that God is doing in those situations. And that's what Father Walter's all about. And in particular, if you look at the title, he leadeth me, you know, it's especially think of Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want, you know, that he leads me into the pastor. You know, God is not the clock maker that kind of winds everything up, sits back, and we have to figure out how to navigate through it. He's actually in the mess with us. And that's a beautiful thing in the Old Testament. The consistent, and even in the New Testament, the consistent promise throughout the Bible that God gives is not necessarily that he'll fix everything, that he'll like change everything, that he'll come, but that he will be with you. I will be with you. And man, when you recognize that in your situation, all of a sudden you realize, oh, this isn't about me. This is about like how I can respond to fulfilling God's will in my life. Yeah. Yeah, I think another thing I wanted to talk about is I think he's granted a level of freedom. He like he serves a sentence and then he's put in some um small Russian city. Um mm-hmm. again under under close supervision, but he's in the slums, right? He's in some village, you know, there's lean tos and shanties. Um and his his little house, he and another priest, it turns into a chapel. Because I remember uh, very vividly reading about the Easter Vigil and Easter Sunday. Yeah. Like, people, I mean, it, it was full. It was to the brim, like, full to bursting. And then people were out in the streets. Um, and I think he said uh, he and another priest distributed communion for, like, two hours after Mass. Um, you know, there's, like, ba- there's barely room to kneel, you know, to kneel or, or genuflect during the, the liturgy. Mm. Um, so think about how, I think about how powerful that is because— both he and the priest were taking a risk, and even the people being there, because the authorities were, I think, aware of what he was doing. But still, the people were like, "That's okay." It's kind of like, like, like you said before, is there's a freedom. Like, what are they going to do? You know, what can they do to me? You know, do not fear he who can uh, kill the body, but he who can throw the body and soul into fiery Gehenna. So it's like they, I think, they took that to heart. They're like, "No, we're receiving the sacraments. You know, this is Easter. This is like the Lord's resurrection." Um, and then they, fa- they were like, "Oh yeah, this is totally worth the risk." So again, I think um, reading this whole book, just the beauty of the sacraments, mm. especially when they've occurred in like weird uh, places. Yeah, and you even talking about you know the sacraments and stuff. You know, just just for people that are listening to this, what are the some of the titles of these chapters, right? Where he'll tell stories and then talk about the topic that he you know spiritually about this. You know, so he's got the beginning stuff about Russia imprisonment, Lubyanka, the interrogations. Um, you know, but then he talks spiritually, he has a whole chapter called the body, right? And in terms of like theology of the body, so often we talk about that in terms of sexuality and the beauty of sexuality, which is true, but there's also this whole theology of the body of like, man, look at the glory that God has allowed to be had for him through like the gift of what we endure through our suffering body, you know, the aches and pains that we have to endure that he had to go with through hunger and like calluses on his hands and just like the cold nights and everything else and being amazed 
at this this body that he had that God continued to sustain. He has a whole chapter called Work and the Sanctity of Work. And man, it's a beautiful chapter. If you hate your job and you're like, what's the point of all this? Read that chapter at least on work because you all of a sudden you realize my work is a means to bring about God's will in this world. Uh, and I read, you know, just so I, you have some street cred here about that, I read that chapter. And I read this book when I was working at a monkey lab taking care of monkeys, cleaning up their excrement. And I thought, my life is meaningless. I have no, I'm not doing anything of any significance in the eyes of the world. What's the point of my life? And then I read this about work and about maybe God's will is simply for me to reach out to and to love those people working in my lab with me and that this work I'm doing, it's oriented toward, you know, this research that might help somebody one day. And like, man, I'm not going to see that fruit perhaps, but I can see the fruit of me offering this up, you know. And then he's got stuff about the priesthood, um, about the fear of death, about freedom and humility. The humility chapter is beautiful. So just very, like, simple things that you could even um, do some Lexio Divina just with each chapter. Yeah, I think um, a, big, a big theme in this book for me is how God gives so much meaning to everything. You know, he could think, oh, building this city out of wood or trapping down wood every day is meaningless or rotting away in a cell in a solitary confinement is meaningless. But everything, can, everything is given meaning by God. Uh, I think especially suffering. I think one of the things I've been trying to do lately is, uh, with any suffering in my life, it could be like chronic pain or frustration or, I don't know, it's cold in, the, in my room all the time now. They turn the heat off. Yeah. Um, it's just it's offering that up for people uh, and peoples that I know that need my prayers. So it's like offering it up. So it's like, hey, like right now my hands and toes are kind of, uh, cold and numb. It's like, well, I can offer that up for somebody, you know, for the healing of some uh, someone who needs it, suffering from cancer or some awful disease, or for like those who recently died. So I think even what what you could see is insignificant, like me struggling to you know keep my extremities warm in my room could seem like a pointless endeavor. But I think even through that, we can offer that up. Yeah, man. And that's w what a Catholic thing to try to explain. You know, the old adage, like, offer it up, you know. Offer mm, mm, mm. Well, this book really kind of, I think, gives a theology of what does that mean? You know, and not, once again, not to take away anything from our, our search for happiness, but really, folks, we're, we're made for so much more than just happiness. We're made for a life of deep meaning and of sharing in that meaningful, like, union with Jesus Christ, which involves also his suffering, which is what he, he promised us. He's like, no slave is greater than his master. You know, if they did this to me, it'll also happen to you, you know? So, like, when we share in those things and we can remember, oh, yeah, maybe this isn't a waste of time and this isn't meaningless. Maybe this isn't how I thought things would go, but let me unite this to the Lord, and now this is, you know, the best version of what can happen right now, you know? So, anyway, yeah, I'm glad that you decided to talk about this, this book, AJ. Um, I need to get another copy of it so I can read it again. <laughs> Maybe I'll buy you some for your uh, Diagnet ordination. Yeah, I'll give them away. I need a digital copy that I'll never get rid of. <laughs> yeah, I'll have to buy like a PDF or something. <laughs> right, or exactly. Get you, a, get you a Kindle and buy the ebook, An audio book. Yeah. Great. Well, Brother Barnabas, it's good to have you on. Uh, the author is Father Walter Chizek. Um, he, he has books, He Leadeth Me uh, with God in Russia. And then he has one that was um, posthumously 
published is um, With God in America. I think it's his collective writings. Um, yeah, super inspiring story. Um, Brother Barnabas, any last words? Um, wow. Last words. Read, he leadeth me. And um, recognize that even like the people in your office, in your family, in your classroom, you know, each one of them, maybe God has willed that they're in your life for a reason, for you to learn virtue, <laughs> to be able to exp practice loving, and also to learn how to be loved. So that's my final word, folks. Great. Uh, this has been Brother Barnabas and uh, Deacon A.J. Gedney with the Encounter Mercy podcast. Uh, please visit us on EncounterMercy.com. Uh, there's lots of great things on there. Uh, you can listen to us wherever you listen to podcasts, or uh, like I like to say, wherever podcasts are bought and sold. Um, and recommend this podcast to a friend, uh, especially if you like this episode, even if you didn't like it. Um, spread the word. So, Because uh, ho hopefully, like Brother, Brother Barnabas, like you said, is maybe someone needs to hear something that we said today. Um, so share it. Yeah, man. And there's so much negativity on social media. Throw, you know, Just put a link up to this, and that might like change somebody's day. And then you can help out Vince and Father Andy and make them feel all good because they're getting more likes and mm -hmm. <laughs> subscriptions or whatever. Yeah. Great. This has been the Encounter Mercy Podcast. Uh, thanks for listening. God bless.